Is this on? Okay, good. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to get there in just a minute, but I have to address something first. I'm wearing this because of them. Last week I wore this nice navy blue pinstripe suit, a white shirt, a normal tie, and they made fun of me. The Rayolas made fun of me for being dressed too conservative. You're welcome. Okay? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's why I invited you, Nicole. I needed that. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to talk about something pretty basic, okay? We all understand that time is the one commodity we only have a limited amount of, okay? If you're hungry, you can make more food or you can buy more food or you can grow more food if, you, if you're willing to wait a really long time to feed yourself, okay? We can earn more money. There's always more money available. Uh, you can get stronger. You can also get wider. I mean, there's a lot of different things we can do, but we can never, ever get more time. The only way you can ever actually even get close to having more time is planking. Have anybody ever done planking before? That's the longest 30 seconds in the history of ever. I was doing those the other night. My trainer Cyrus had me doing those, and I'm counting to 30. And oh my word, I thought 30 was, I'm shaking. And then I had to do four more sets of that. Okay, so if you want to extend your time, do more planking, which might genuinely actually extend your life because exercise is good for you. But we have a limited amount of time. If you want to mark this, we're going to be going through a whole bunch of different spots in the Bible tonight. So if you've got an app out, whatever you need, we're going to go to a bunch of different places. We're going to look at time through the Bible a little bit tonight. Okay? The word time, specifically, that word, I do word studies. I just, you, you, you know, you can just Google this stuff. It's not hard to find. I'll say stuff like this and the, the little fact I'm about to give you. You could Google this. I'm not that smart. I just... I Google it, okay? All right? The King James Bible uses the word time a total of 620 times in 563 different verses, okay? Pastor uses this idea all the time that if God repeats himself, he's doing it for a reason. And if he talks about time a total of 620 times in your Bible, I think he wants us to pay attention to that. It's actually in almost every book of the Bible. There's only five books of the Bible that don't talk about time at all. Um, oddly enough, Obadiah, Philippians, Titus, 2nd and 3rd John. Now, Obadiah, 2nd and 3rd John are only one chapter books. They each have like 16 to 20 verses. So one word like that missing is kind of normal. The word time shows up actually more in the book of Genesis than almost any other book of the Bible. It's, it's just, God keeps repeating it over and over again. Well, the verses we read with Brother Carson, I had him turn there because I figure finding Genesis is probably the easiest place. If you don't know where that's at, you kind of just open the cover and it's there. Um, but go there real quick. If you haven't already kept a finger there or whatnot, Genesis chapter 1 this section right in here, and we're going to reread these verses, this is where God actually created time. Typically, when we're looking at the idea of creation, a seven-day creation, we talk about God creating light and darkness and day and night, but he also created the concept of time. Let's reread these. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, in the evening and the morning were the first day. 
Now this is actually really unique. If you actually wanna sit down and study the science behind all of this, it's incredibly detailed. There's a lot of information kind of crammed into these couple verses here. But at, at the beginning of everything, there wasn't anything. It was just God. In fact, all we know is he created the heaven and the earth in verse one. We got that part. Verse two, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we're given the idea that earth, what we know of, was just a water bubble. Okay, think of it as a water balloon floating in space. Right? And a water balloon's, by the way, a pretty good idea because it's without form. Have you ever thrown a water balloon? Does it stay in that perfect teardrop shape the entire time you're throwing it? No, it morphs and changes in shape due to friction without form and void. And then God says in verse three, God said, let there be light and there was light. Here's the crazy part. In the seven days of creation, what day, I'm gonna quiz you here. What day does God create the sun, moon, and stars? Day four. Where'd this light come from? Couldn't be from the sun. It came from God. He just spoke, and all of a sudden, it was light. And then, here's the, this, is, this is the part that's kind of mind-blowing. He divided the light from the darkness. When you turn the lights on in this room, can, hey, can you do me a favor up in the PA booth? Can you turn the house lights off for a second? Can you turn them back on? Can you turn them back off? Hey, they're listening tonight. Good job. Can you turn it back on? Okay, this time, hang on a second. When I, when I have him turn it off, I want just the back half to be off, okay? Just the back half. Go ahead, turn them off. Did that work? No. Can you turn it back on? We can't divide light like that. Now, you could sit there and, yes, I could zone it all out. Okay, thank you, Mr. Electrical Engineer. Great. But we have to go through massive amounts of work to divide light from darkness. And even if we did, and we only lit the back half and not the front half, that light's going to spill over, isn't it? You don't have the ability to control where light goes. God did. He just went, light, darkness. First off, could you imagine being there? I'm really hoping when we get to heaven someday, I want to watch how that worked. Just, just, just I want to see how that happened. What, did it sound like anything? You ever thought about that? I think weird thoughts. The Bible talks about, pastor talked about this in church a couple weeks ago, how Jesus healed the maimed. That's people like pastor who are missing limbs. If he healed them, that means they grew a new limb. What did that sound like? Was it wet? Was it crunchy? Was it all of them? I think weird thoughts when I read the Bible, but God creates light. And the last verse here, verse five that we just read, in the evening and the morning were the first day, God created a 24-hour day for us. By the way, that was kind of huge. You do realize prior to that, there was no concept of time. It's one of the aspects of God that you and I can't fathom. He's always been, he is, and he always will be. My brain doesn't even know what's gonna happen tomorrow. I barely remember yesterday. But he's always been, always will be, and is all at once. But he created time for us because we're going to need that. Okay? We need time. Time is how we judge how long something takes. Some of you are already looking at your watches wondering how long this is going to take. Really long. It's my last chance for a while, okay? No, I'm kidding it. But we judge everything based on time, right? 
you go see a movie. You look at how long the movie is so you know how long you're going to be gone. Eh? You go to a baseball game and you could be gone for a really, really long time. It's a really boring sport. Eh? We all judge everything by time and we have to. Okay? Uh, Brother Carson and I were going through and setting all the new bells for the new school year coming up. And that, <clears throat> that lovely clock system is about 40 years old and is all done on 24-hour time and there's no back button. If you go one minute over, you're going the full 24 hours around, and we got to do that, I'm pretty sure, twice on Friday. Yay, time is fun. Okay, if you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. So God created time for you and I. We need that. We need to be able to keep track of what's happening. We need to know when we're supposed to be in the right place, so time is important. But God views time a little bit differently. Okay? And this goes back to what I mentioned before. We can't quite wrap our minds around the fact that God's always been and always will be. With that said, he views time differently. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, but beloved, that would be us, those of us in church, be not ignorant of this one thing. Don't forget about this, guys. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Guys, we can't wrap our brain around that. First off, for the most part in this room, we're all 21st century Americans. To us, history started in 1620. The world did not exist before 1620 because America, freedom, that's it. 1776 and the world start, go, go around the world. I, I got to go to Australia a few years ago. I got to see a rock formation, a rock formation. That's estimated to be well over 10,000 years old, and it's one of the weirdest looking things in the world. Hey, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. I got to see a tree in Australia, a tree that's thought to be 5,000 years old. Who's been keeping that, by the way? You ever thought about that? Who's been watering and planting? God's been taking care of it. But we can't wrap our minds around the fact that for us, a day goes by and it's 24 hours, and we remember what we might have done on that day. God views thousand-year chunks of time the same way you and I view a 24-hour day. So God's view of time is a little bit different. Look at the next section here. I want you to go to Psalm chapter 90. Told you, we're going to bounce around just a little bit tonight. Psalm chapter 90. So God created time on day one of creation. Again, he created that for us, for our benefit. He views time differently than we do. Our time is limited. I told you that at the beginning. Look at Psalm 90, verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. As a tale that is told. How many of you, mom, dad, or somebody in your family read you bedtime stories when you were really little? How many of you, mom or dad, still read you bedtime stories? Patrick Rayley, your hand was up for a weirdly long time. I want to know what those bedtime stories are like. It's probably truck monthly or something like that, all right? A tale typically doesn't take very long, depending on the book. Okay, if, if your tale that you're reading your kids is, you know, war and peace, that's a really long tale. Some of us have a longer story on earth than others. I, I'm not that old. I'm 38. I've got friends that have passed away a lot younger. Remember Chucky Dudley? He was, what, 12? Passed away from brain cancer. Um, got other friends? Passed away quite old. Great-grandpa died at 103. 
our tail, our time on earth is limited. And we don't know how long that time is going to be, by the way, which is why we need to be careful with what we do with our time. That's not the focus of tonight, but it's something to think about. If you have a finite amount of time, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with the time God's given you right now? That, that should greatly limit how lazy we are. Just think about that for a minute. Here's where I want you to go next. Go to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you can't find it, Google it. Okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Our time, that's our time, the tale that is told, that short amount of time we have on earth, is made up of a whole bunch of seasons. Uh, Solomon wrote this book, and if you've ever read through Ecclesiastes, this is a pretty depressing book. Okay? Uh, for the most part, everything in here is vanity of vanities. Solomon's making, he's basically wrote an entire book full of his regrets. I did all these things wrong, which is kind of mind-blowing because God made him the wisest man on earth. He was also at the time the richest man on earth. And if you do some history study, Solomon is ranked in the top 10 richest human beings in all of human history. His estimated total wealth in 2021 dollars would have been over $400 billion. One of the richest men in all of history. And he wrote an entire book of the Bible on basically his regrets. Money doesn't get you everything. Just thought I'd throw that out there. But look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. And if you actually take a moment, reflect on the life you've lived thus far, you can probably pick out almost every one of these seasons, one of these times that you've already gone through at some point in your life. And if there's one that's missing, it'll show up at some point. It'll happen. But we all go through these seasons. Everybody in here has gone through at least one of them. You were born. Yay you, okay? Everyone in here has skipped one of these seasons so far. You're not dead. Yay you. Hey? But there's all these seasons in our lives and we go through those. We all understand that, that concept. So if God created time for us, God views time differently than us, we have a limited amount of time on earth, and we go through all these random seasons of our life in time, what are we supposed to do about that? What does that mean for us? I want you to go to one more verse and then we're going to pause for just a minute. Go to the book of Esther. This is actually the verse Pastor was referencing earlier this evening. Esther chapter 4. Esther's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, partially because it's a little on the unique side. It is a book of the Bible, God's word, and it doesn't mention God's name anywhere. He's not mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther, which is kind of unique. Look at Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art, thou art come to the kingdom 
for such a time as this. That's the, that's the verse, again, that Pastor was mentioning. Esther was challenged by Mordecai, her cousin, you've got to do this. And it, it's kind of key. If you look at the beginning of that verse, or right in the middle, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. God can use anybody he wants, and if we choose not to let him use us, he'll find somebody else to use. He always will. He's always looking for a willing vessel. We've been going through the book of Judges for almost a year now in the adult Sunday school class, and the book of Judges has two main themes. One is the cycles of sin and redemption, but the other main theme that I found as I've studied it this year is willingness. Every time that the Jews needed help, someone was willing to do the work that God needed them to do. So with that, our time to act is now for such a time as this. So pastor kind of ruined my illustration earlier. Thank you. That was probably the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Woohoo! All right. But he did kind of ruin it. I was going to tell you the tale of Tim. It's a really short story. Five foot six. Ha ha. Funny joke. Dad joke. There you go. Okay. There was once upon a time I was born. June 29th, 1985, I was born, and I made my mom and dad super happy, and they've been happy for 38 years. I hope. Okay? Shortly thereafter, I hit all the basic milestones, learned to walk, talk, started going to school. I don't have a huge number of memories from kindergarten. All I remember, there was three boys in our kindergarten class, and our teacher actually, like, if you were bad, you got put in the corner with, like, the dunce cap type thing. I was in that corner a lot. Um, Surprise, I don't know if you would have expected that from me, but I was in that bad corner quite frequently. Um, Mrs. Poor Mrs. Bushy, she's like a wonderful lady and just, mm, I was not a good kid, right? I'd started, you know, and then shortly after that, it was going right into first grade, I think, that we moved to Pennsylvania. Uh, I got to go to a new school and got to, I got glasses for the first time on my first day at a brand new school, so I went from like, my beautiful self to nerdy kid really quickly. Uh, started a new school, we went into, we did some homeschooling for a little while during all of that. And due to some amazing genetics, okay? Actually, I forgot to tell you this. Most recent powerlifting competition that I did, there was a young man competed with us last time that asked if he and I were brothers. I hate that kid and I don't want anything to do with him. So due to some pretty wonderful genetics, during our time in Pennsylvania, Dad decided to share the genetics that give migraines. And I just got blessed with that wonderful feeling of your head exploding inwards while losing vision and seeing stars and all those fun things. And now, 20 plus years later, I still get to handle those. But that's just that was one of the seasons in my life. And that was a pretty scary season, to be honest with you. Then we got the really fun season where we moved here. I'm going to be really honest. How many of you were here during that year, 25 years ago? I hated all of you. I really, I'm just, I got to be honest, I really did. It had nothing to do with any of you because I didn't know you. I just really didn't want to be here. So I kind of hated all of you. I remember Mrs. Nill introduced me to Matt, and Mom made me talk to Matt. That was, I hated Matt. Didn't know Matt, just hated Matt. Didn't want to talk to Matt. Why? Because I was here. That was... I'll be honest, that was for me at 12, 13 years old, that, that, that was a pretty rough season for me. It didn't go real well. Then, you know, gradually grew to love this place. Graduated high school, went off to college, uh, went and some halfway, about halfway through college, transferred up to Gaylord, Michigan, and then, then dad got sick. And he mentioned a little bit about this this morning, but 17 years ago he got sick and I got a phone call the start of finals week my junior year of college from Pastor Wilson, 
you and Sarah have tickets. You're flying out of Traverse City tomorrow to Chesapeake because your dad's dying. That was the way he phrased it because that's what we thought. So the next morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, Sarah and I went and somebody drove us down to Traverse City Airport and we flew from there to Detroit and Detroit to Virginia and a pastor from the Outer Banks that I barely knew picked us up and drove Sarah and I over to the hospital to see mom and dad. We spent the next five or six days in the hospital. We flew back, gathered our stuff, and got back home right after. I never ended up taking my finals that week. I actually, it's the, the only classes in college I ever failed. I bombed all of them because I missed all my finals. I just bombed everything. To be honest, I didn't care at that point. Rightfully so, I think. Came home that summer, and due to some of the health issues Dad was dealing with, and Pastor Wilson stepped up and did amazing job just kind of stepping into a position that he wasn't, probably wasn't ready for, quite honestly, but he did. I stayed home that semester and, and got to just be a help. And it was during that time period that I started teaching for the first time. Jason Kirkevich called me at 7.30 one morning. Mr. Rancourt's sick. Can you fill in for fifth and sixth grade? And those of you who don't know, Mr. Rancourt didn't have any kidneys for, what, a couple decades, am I right? And he got sick quite frequently due to all the dialysis and other stuff. And Jason called and said, can you sub for fifth and sixth grade? Sure, whatever. Worked out great because Mr. Rancourt had some of the most detailed notes ever. It was amazing. And I showed up and I taught fifth and sixth grade. Over a month later, I was still teaching fifth and sixth grade, and he fired me so I would go back to college. As an adult, the only job I have been fired from is your fault. <laughs> he knew if he didn't, I wouldn't go back to college and finish college, so he, he, he fired me. That was not a good season, by the way. Yeah, actually, I, I lied. It was a really good season, because the day I got back to college, Monday in registration line, I met this girl. She was really pretty. <laughs> she didn't know it, but uh, I already planned to marry her from like, you know, eight minutes after saying hi. <laughs> um, in fact, that Thursday, three days later, I asked her out. She said yes. I, I jumped that up because I'd watched another guy ask her out, and her, I saw her shoot him down, and now it was a challenge. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and she said, she said yes. She said yes. The day after that Friday, I had two roommates uh, Dustin and Jeremy, and I was like, I'm going to marry that girl, just watch. And Jeremy looked at me and he said, you need to back off, you're going to scare her away. Well, I won, and Jeremy just moved out of his mom's basement last summer, so... <laughs> so there, Jeremy, all right? Jeremy's a good guy, by the way, just lived with his mom for a really long time, all right? But I got to meet Carla, and that was pretty, that was pretty good. I, by the way, just to give you some backstory, I fell in love with her way before she fell in love with me, like head over heels. Met her in January, told her I loved her in April. She didn't reciprocate that until September. <laughs> Anybody here ever done that before? You made somebody wait like five months? That was a jerk move, okay? But it worked. Asked her to marry me, we got married. That part, phenomenal. We immediately jumped in and started working at Grace Baptist College and Grace Baptist Church. She was teaching the school. I was teaching at the college. And then we found out we were going to have kids. Went to our first appointment. The doctor's doing the cool ultrasound thingy looking. And I noticed something. He was, like, doing all the scanning, you know, checking the size. Does it have a head? Is it in the right place? <laughs> you know, does it, are their feet attached? Not to the head. And I saw something when he went like this. I don't know which direction, it was one of them. And then he caught it and moved over. He's like, oh, look, there's another one. 
<laughs> what? I remember I, we called mom. We called Carla's parents on the way home from the hospital, and they answered, and, you know, oh, okay, that's exciting. Called mom, and mom literally, you're lying. <laughs> Stop lying. Don't lie to Tim. Tim, don't lie to me. It wasn't until we got home and I got on Skype when, you know, before video messaging was built into your phone, you know, got on Skype and had to show her the ultrasound picture and prove there were two babies in there. And then she just screamed for a really long time. That was a pretty interesting season. During that season, we went from a family of two to a family of four overnight. A week after, I got laid off from my job. My family doubled in size, and I have no income. None. We were going through 800 diapers a month. Kids are gross. You two are nasty. I love you to death, but ew. I won't tell you which, but I was doing a diaper change. This is my last time to do all these, so you're getting everything tonight. I was doing a diaper change and peeled the little legs back, pulled the diaper out, and it shot about three feet onto the wall. It was number two. So I was okay, she's not done. Pulled the legs back again, and now we've got a pump. So we just kept going until everything slowed down and <laughs> cleaned up, and kids are nasty. Did you know during that entire time, I've got no job, no income. I applied to, what was it, somewhere between 30 and 40 jobs over the next 72 hours trying to find something for my family to take care of us. We didn't buy any of those diapers. We didn't buy a single diaper. Somebody in church just dropped them off at our doorstep every time. By the end of that summer, I finally got a call back from one of the jobs a week before I went back to my original job, 12 weeks after I'd been laid off. Somehow we ended up with more money in the bank than when we started. I still don't know how to explain that, other than God did it. That was a pretty trying season in our life. We were zombies, struggling, but God took care of us every step of the way. And then like dad mentioned, we got the call in April of 2015 that there was an, a position, an opening. I'll be honest, dad and I had talked about me coming to work here shortly after I got a, out of college. I am almost 100% certain we would have killed each other by then. I was kind of an idiot. Not that that's changed a lot, but I was kind of more of an idiot. But he called and asked me to pray about it. He mentioned that there was a lot of prayer. My immediate answer was yes, and then I prayed about it. No, we, we did pray about it, and God opened that door, and we got to come here. And like he talked about earlier, then mom got sick. It wouldn't have mattered where I was. I was going to quit and come here when mom got sick. But I was already here for such a time as this. That was my time. It was the right time. It was the right place. And then he got sick again. And I got to be here again. And now... Time's changing again. God's moving us away. And I'll be very honest, over the last 48 hours, there have been a lot of tears. I love this place. I love you people. This is home. But we're doing what we're supposed to do for such a time as this. It's a season in our life that's changing. By the way, it's terrifying. If you've ever done anything in the will of God, it is terrifying. But like Pastor talked about this morning, it's peace when you know you're doing what God told you to do. As terrifying as it can be, there's peace. 
I've left out one season in my life that I didn't tell you about. And it's the one I want to focus on tonight as we finish up. January 20th, 2006. Completely random date to any of you. Does anybody know what day of the week that was? Are any of you rain man and can figure that out? It was a Sunday. January 20th, 2006 was a Sunday. I grew up in church. I've been in church my entire life. I'm pretty sure I was in church within days after birth. I've been in church forever. Counting, I counted up a few years ago. In fact, Brother Adam and I have compared notes. He grew up very similar to me, pastor's kid, all that stuff. Based on a, a, a basic law of averages, if you count Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, that's four sermons a week, plus uh, Christian school chapel and going away to church camp and other stuff. At my life, at my point right now, I have heard somewhere between 30 and 35,000 different sermons in my lifetime. That's a lot of church. That's a lot of church. But in the midst of all of that sitting in church, there was one thing I knew was missing. I'd never become a Christian. I knew it. And Sunday night, January 20th, 2006, I was sitting in church, and like the good Christian kid I was, I was sitting on the front row. I noticed those are all very empty tonight. I was sitting on the front row. I'll be honest, I was up in Gaylord, Michigan, and Pastor Jenkins was, he was a long-winded preacher. At the time especially, if you got out on Sunday night and church was less than two hours long, that was a good night. That was normal. I have no idea what the man talked about all night long. Zero clue. I'm just sitting up there and I knew I'm not a Christian. I knew it. I knew it. And I got down towards the invitation and I just, God, I got to get this figured out. I didn't know what he was talking about. I wasn't paying attention. I'm sitting here having an argument with God. Anybody here ever argued with God? I know I'm not the only idiot in this room that's done that, okay? I'm arguing with God, talking, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking, not so much listening, okay? We do that a lot when we're talking to God. We talk and we don't usually listen very well. And I'm doing that back and forth and I'm like, fine, God, I will fix this. I'll get this taken care of. I'll, get, I'll become a Christian if he says something about it tonight in the invitation. I knew he didn't preach on that, so I was like, all right, I'm probably good. Somebody in here, you need to get saved. (gasps) If he says it again, again, arguing with God, throwing my fleece out there, he does it again. Third time's the charm. Actually, it was fourth time's the charm. And that night, I ran up, actually, on a chair just like this, and uh, one of the assistants, his name was Rob Parati, opened the Bible, and he showed me some of the verses I want you to look at with me. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Probably the most famous verse in the entirety of the Bible. I'm pretty sure everybody has heard this in some variation or another. John chapter 3, look at verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. That's an amazing thought. The God who always was, is, and always will be. The God who can create time. The God who actually has the ability to divide light and darkness with words loves you. He loves you. And he gave you a way to get to heaven. Go to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. John wrote that last verse. Romans is written by the apostle Paul. Possibly, and a lot of times considered one of the greatest Christians to ever live. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 8. 
Paul writes here, but God commendeth or giveth or showeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the thing, we all love people that love us. I love Sam. Why? Because Sam is super high energy and Sam has been a huge help to dad and I. I love Sam because Sam has shown love to us. That's how most of us treat people, right? I'm gonna treat you the way I wanna be treated. That, by the way, it's a Bible, Bible command right there, doing to others as you would have them doing to you. And we usually love people that treat us well. God loved us in spite of the fact that we did everything against him while we were yet sinners. We've all done something wrong in this room. I don't think I have to explain sin, but sin is anything that you and I do that goes against God or displeases God. He chose to love you and me in spite of the fact that we basically ignored and hated everything he did. I don't understand that kind of love. But he did. Look at, go back a couple chapters. Look at Romans chapter three. Let me prove this, okay? Romans chapter three, look at verse 23. The fact that we're all sinners here says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God himself is perfect. He's holy, the Bible calls him, which means he cannot accept any form of sin. None. But in the fact, for all, that would be all. By the way, pastor always says this. That word all comes from a Greek word that means it does. The Greek word is pas, P-A-S. I, I Googled this too. Including in all forms of declension, it is a primary word meaning all, any, every, and the whole or some of. For all would be the whole, the sum of, every person has sinned. Which means we've come short of God's glory, God's holiness. We have no access to get into heaven because of the wrong we have done. And we've all been there. We've all done something. We've probably all done something today. Possibly in the last couple of hours. Possibly in the last couple of minutes. We've all sinned. But going back to John chapter three, for God so loved the world. In spite of the fact that we've sinned, he still loved us. Go to Romans chapter three, look, or you should be there, look up at verse 10. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. That word righteous can also be translated as perfect. Is anybody in here completely 100% perfect? Do you never do anything wrong across the board anywhere? I'm waiting for like a five-year-old to raise their hand. Right? No, none of us are perfect. If we were, we wouldn't be here because this church wouldn't be perfect enough for us. Uh, Roger Williams, weirdly enough, a really many generation descendant of my wife started the, uh, the state of Rhode Island and actually like basically the first Baptist church. Roger Williams actually kind of changed churches. It doesn't get talked about in history very often. He changed churches a total of seven times during his lifetime. His last church had two members, he and his wife. because he didn't think anybody else was Christian enough to go to his church. Aren't you glad we don't have one of those? Eh? If you and I were righteous, we wouldn't be good here because we're full of, this place is full of people that have done something wrong. We're all sinners. Go to Romans chapter 10 with me. Romans chapter 10. So if we're all sinners, none of us is perfect, none of us is righteous, but we know we've got the idea that God loves us, what are we supposed to do about it? 
Romans chapter 10, look at verse 13, says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So all I'm supposed to do is just call his name, just Lord? A little more detail than that. Go back a couple verses, look at verse nine. And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The idea of confession, or to confess, gives us the idea that we have to admit wrongdoing. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I know I've messed up. I know I've caused problems. I, I know it. But Lord, I know that you love me. And Lord, I need you to take that away from me. Call upon the name of the Lord. And here's the thing. It says, shall be saved. That's definitive. That's not a might be. If you ask God to forgive you and come into your heart and save you, it's not a you might say, he, he doesn't pick and choose who he saves. It's anybody. Because it goes all the way back to John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Are you part of the world? Am I part of the world? If we're all part of the world, that means that love, the idea, the ability to confess and receive salvation, that's available for everybody. Am I right? That's huge. Go to Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna look at one more scripture and I'm gonna finish my tale of Tim. Ephesians chapter two, look at verse eight. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is the idea of getting something or doing something that you can't do for yourself. I don't know if you know this about dad and I. We happen to be a little bit short. I, I'm, I'm not sure if you knew that. I am five foot six. Um, I'm a little bit on the height challenge side of life. There have been a handful of moments where I have been at the gym and needed people like Mike, who's like six foot 11, to help me. Why? Because I am short and Mike has had the grace to do something for me that I could not do for myself, like reach the top shelf, right? The idea of grace is doing something or something being done for you that you cannot do for yourself. So for by grace are you saved through faith. Giving us right off the bat the idea, you and I can't get ourselves saved. We can't. And the Bible goes on. And that not of yourselves. You don't have the ability to save yourself. You can save yourself from drowning. You can save yourself from addiction. You can save yourself from, there's a whole list of things, but you can't save yourself from sin. You can't. And it goes on. It is the gift of God. Didn't we see that all the way back in John 3.16 and also in Romans 5.8, for God so loved the world that he gave. That was a gift. You and I don't pay for gifts. If you buy, how many of you have ever bought your own gift on a birthday? I have. In fact, at least two of my snakes came from birthday gifts to me, <laughs> mostly because they were way more expensive than she would have paid for, right? Uh, giving ourselves a gift and paying for it, is that, really, is that really a gift? Not really. It's just an excuse to buy yourself something nice, right? You can't buy your way into heaven. It's a gift, meaning it was free. Look at verse nine, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you and I had the ability to do something and get ourselves into heaven, wouldn't we brag about that? 
I've had a handful of times at the gym where I have lifted heavy weight. Well, guess what I go do? I post it on Instagram and Facebook, and I tell you about it. I lifted this much weight. Why? Because I'm boasting of my works. I'm excited that I did something, so I want to tell you. You realize if you and I had the ability to like do something and earn our way to heaven, we'd tell everybody about it, which by the way is pride, which is a sin which negates us from heaven. Can't do that. You can't earn your way into heaven. Going back to the beginning of the verse, because it's by grace. To finish my story here, January 20th, 2006, I was sitting there, front row, and I knew I hadn't accepted this gift. I'd heard it my whole life, my whole life but I knew I hadn't made it real in my life. I knew it. I could feel it in my heart. And that night, I just chose to accept God's gift. And again, it didn't take any work from me other than, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. Will you come into my heart and save me? And I can tell you this immediately. Everything felt different. Those of you that have experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like the whole world lifts off your shoulders. It's like everything just gets a little bit lighter, a little bit brighter. It, 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 it gives you something called hope, and it changes your perspective. I, I think I called you and mom almost immediately after church, and just, I, I know, because of the way I work, I rambled for a really long time, and just, I was so excited. It changed everything. Here's the crazy part. Did you know five months later, he got sick? Five months later? Had I not made that decision on January 20th, 2006, I would not be here tonight. I can promise you, I would not be here. I'd, I would have quit a long time ago. I would have stopped everything a long time ago because when he got sick, my world fell apart for a while. When mom got sick, my world completely demolished. Had I not had Jesus, I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. So my question is you to, to, to you tonight. Have you accepted Jesus? Because I'll be honest with you, the seasons of life that we read through Ecclesiastes, go back there for just a second. Ecclesiastes chapter three, I promise you I'm almost done. If you look at this really quick, this list is a little bit unique. We're not gonna read the whole thing, but let's look at verse two. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, if you pay attention to the times listed in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, half of them are good, half of them are bad. How do you handle the bad half of what's going to happen in life if you don't have hope? How do you handle the time to mourn, the time to weep, the time to kill, the time to die? How do you handle any of those moments without Jesus? Because here's the thing, that hope, that hope is, I'm going to go to heaven someday and I get to see mom again. I still have mom's number in my phone. It's been almost six years. I'll be honest, probably at least once a day the last three weeks I've tried to call it. I hung up. It's probably going to end up being some rando. They're going to be wondering why somebody's blubbering on the other end of the line. Because I want to tell mom what's happening. I can't. 
someday, I can. Why? Because of hope. Because of Jesus. And friend, that gift, that's one of the greatest gifts you can ever get. It is. And I'd like to again ask you, have you accepted that gift? Because if you haven't, please do. It'll change your life. It'll change your trajectory. It'll change everything. It'll literally change the way you view the outside. It'll change the way you wake up in the morning. It'll change the way your coffee tastes. And then you realize it's from Dunkin' and it's still gross. But it will change everything. So for such a time as this, I'm here for such a time as this right now to tell you, have you made that decision? I can't answer it for you. Because going back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not of works. If we had the ability to get saved for you, we would have done it. We would have given anything to get saved for you. But we can't. Jesus already paid that price for you. He died on the cross so that you can go to heaven. He died so you can live. Pay attention to most of the other gods throughout culture around the world. They demand that you sacrifice your life to them. Our God died for us. That's amazing. That's a gift right there. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, thank you.